the afternoon of Monday the 12th of September 1853, Jane Collins made her way to the home of 31-year-old Elizabeth Cunliffe, her stepdaughter, fearing that something terrible may have happened since they last spoke the previous day. Elizabeth has suffered from severe depression since the birth of her daughter, Alice Anna, back in January of that same year, and had been in a low state of mind for the past three months, at one point even telling her stepmother that her soul would eventually be lost, and only on the previous evening she said that there was no chance of her father, herself, or her stepmother going to heaven, which, as you can imagine, would have been an unsettling thing to hear. As she approached Elizabeth's home, the porch door was open, but upon trying the front door, she found it was bolted from the inside. Still worried about the previous evening and seeing how troubled Elizabeth seemed, Jane quickly hot-footed her way back to her house to inform her husband, John. A few minutes later, and just after two o'clock in the afternoon, John, along with Jane, as well as Mary Dawson, who was a neighbour of the Cunliffe's, they would all return to Elizabeth's home, and just like his wife had already encountered, John found the front door to be fastened from the inside. After a few minutes of struggling, he somehow managed to force the door open and began to search the house for any signs of Elizabeth or any of her children. The fire was out, and it seemed the house was empty, but John knew that this was impossible as the front door had been locked from the inside, so somebody must have been in the house. Making his way upstairs and upon entering one of the bedrooms, he saw not only three of Elizabeth's children laying in one of the beds, but also that of Elizabeth lying on another, her body entirely covered in bedclothes. Fearing for the worst, he removed the sheets, revealing Elizabeth who was wearing a nightdress and two petticoats that had by now been besmeared with blood. Her head was downwards, being supported by her hands, and she had two handkerchiefs tied around her neck, which she tried to lift. Upon doing so, blood gushed from the neck, and whilst he didn't see any wounds, he could hear the wind rattling in her throat. Alarmed, he immediately replaced the handkerchiefs. Standing back, he noticed blood was trickling onto the floor beneath the bed, and this is when the most shocking of sights would reveal itself. Peering over to Elizabeth, John saw her youngest child, a daughter by the name of Alice Hannah, who was lying on a pillow that was close up by the wall. It was instantly obvious that she was no longer alive, her throat covered in blood along with the rest of her body. Mary Dyson, who had followed John upstairs, rushed over to Elizabeth, pushing John out of the way. Leaning over her, Mary felt something hard that had been placed underneath Elizabeth's pillow, and after taking hold of the object, she removed it to reveal an open razor sprinkled with blood which appeared to be dry. Oh, Elizabeth, what hast thou been doing, and who has done this, she would ask. Amazingly, Elizabeth, albeit burly, was still alive. Opening her eyes, she stuttered, What is to do? To which Mary replied, There is plenty to do. Who has done this? After a moment's pause, Elizabeth whispered, Myself. Now in hindsight, perhaps Mary herself could have prevented the events that took place on the 12th of September, as that morning she had spoken to Elizabeth. But whilst the conversation may have taken on a sinister tone, Mary could not possibly have foreseen the tragedy that would transpire later on that afternoon. Elizabeth's parting words to Mary that day may perhaps give us a clue as to her state of mind. I must be hanged on a tree. I must be cut into lumps and whipped. God will not look upon me, she would say. Orkin Headwood is situated in an area known as Top of the Bank that resides on an old road that lies between Haslin and Rottenstall in the northwest of England. It fell into a district known as Lower Boost that had three principal divisions, Orkin Headwood, Rottenstall and Constable Lee but by 1894 the township ceased to exist, with the three areas being absorbed into the new townships of Haslinden and Rottenstall, respectively. And back in 1853, cotton mills and factories had begun to prosper, 
with many men and women being employed within them, and this led to the towns and villages becoming overpopulated as people sought refuge in the limited number of dwellings that were available to them. And in the case of Elizabeth Cunliffe, she had been married to Henry Cunliffe since the 4th of November 1843, and together they had four children. George, who was nine years old, John, seven years old, Whitaker, five years old, and Alice Hannock, ten months old. And from the children's baptism records, it seems Elizabeth and Henry and all the children had moved within different areas of the district before finally arriving at Orkin Headwood. It seems that their marriage had never been one of harmonious joy, as Henry would be drunk for most of the time, frequenting public houses after finishing work for the day, and returning home in the later hours of the evening, always worse for wear. Whilst he may have appeared to be a hard-working man who, surprisingly, was punchable for work, his private life and how he treated his family was shocking to say the least. He would go missing for days at a time, leaving his wife and children destitute with not a morsel of food to be found in their home. And one newspaper from April 1853 details Henry with being charged by Mr Whitaker, overseer of Lower Booths, with neglect of his wife and children, and he was ordered to refund the relief as well as expenses or be committed to prison. So it's not surprising Elizabeth would eventually suffer from some form of breakdown, and four months prior to her taking the life of the youngest child Alice, as well as trying to take her own life, she had been visited by a surgeon by the name of Jonas Wimpenny, who stated that at the time she was in a dreadful state and her mind was greatly affected. The inquest into the death of 10-month-old Alice Hannah Cunliffe and the attempted suicide of Elizabeth Cunliffe would take place on Thursday the 15th of September and be held at the White Horse, Rottenstall. Mr J Hargreaves, coroner, would open proceedings and one of the first witnesses to take to the stand would be Jane Collins, the stepmother of Elizabeth. She would describe in detail how she had spoken to Elizabeth the day before she tried to take her own life, and she would speak of her seemingly unstable state of mind. She would also talk about the moments before and leading up to the discovery of the child's body. John Collins, the father of Elizabeth, would be next to be called upon, as would Mary Dyson, both of whom we've already spoken about. Surgeon Jonas Wimpenny would also be called to the stand, and would go into great detail as to the events that unfolded that afternoon. I was called in about three o'clock on Monday, the child had been dead about three hours. It had a rough incised wound across the throat. Loss of blood was the cause of death. I arrived at this conclusion since the post-mortem examination. I found a razor beneath the mother's head, but felt quite certain that the child's wounds were not inflicted by that instrument, and therefore requested Mr Whitaker to have the room well searched. On examining the mother, I found two wounds in the throat, one at the top of the windpipe, over the larynx, the other lower down in the throat, about an inch and a half above the breastbone. I do not think that both wounds were inflicted by the razor. The upper one might have been made with instruments. Her recovery is improbable, but not impossible. Another witness who attended the scene when called for it was Mr Henry Whitaker, who recalled speaking to Elizabeth shortly after Jonas Wimpenet had attended to her wounds, and she was able to speak a little. He spoke at the inquest of asking Elizabeth if she had cut her throat, as well as that of her child, to which she replied yes to both questions. She seemed quite sensible at the time I put the questions, he would go on to say. It would also speak of searching the room for the instruments used on the child, saying, The bed was in consequence well searched, but no other instrument was found. Margaret Green, neighbour, afterwards found a penknife with two blades on the floor. The smaller blade was covered in blood. However, the most important witness and the only person witness to the shocking events that took place was that of John Cunliffe, the son of Elizabeth and Henry. Age of seven, he told the jury that he remembered seeing his father rising from the bed early Monday morning before getting dressed and leaving the house. He never saw his father after that. After father went, mother got up and went downstairs. 
returned and went back to bed again. Then got up a second time, went below and returned to bed again. While she was downstairs the first time, I went to look at sister Alice Anna in mother's bed. She was dead. There was blood on the side of the bed where sister lay. And on one side, I saw blood on the bed and on the floor. I went downstairs to tell mother and the child was dead. She said nothing. After mother got into the bed, the second time, I saw blood running from her on the floor. I stood beside her at the time. Brother George told me to go and see if sister was dead. Saw my mother tie two handkerchiefs around her neck. During the inquest, Elizabeth, who was clearly unfit to attend, would be kept as a prisoner in her own home, guarded day and night by the police, and it would only take the jury a matter of minutes to return a verdict of willful murder against her. Due to the severity of the crimes, and with Elizabeth being in no fit state, both mentally or physically, she would only be committed to the Liverpool Assizes as soon as she was well enough to be removed from her home. And as it would transpire, she would be moved into a lunatic asylum, where she would stay for five long years. On Thursday the 19th of August 1858, the trial of Elizabeth Cunliffe, who was now aged 36, would finally take place at the Liverpool Assizes. Due to being in a weak state of mind, Elizabeth, who would be undefended at the trial, was accompanied by a nurse as she took to her seat. Mr K prosecuting would begin proceedings by going through the case, detailing the facts leading up to and on the day of the terrible crime that Elizabeth had been charged with, that of murdering her youngest child as well as trying to commit suicide thereafter. But in a strange twist of fate, Mr K would also give evidence which would hopefully convince the jury with a recommendation of the judge to acquit Elizabeth on all charges placed against her. As for Elizabeth, when questioned, she would say that she knew nothing of what happened back on the 12th of September 1853 and would plead not guilty. Jonas Wimpenit would tell the court he had attended to Elizabeth on many occasions prior to the murder of her child and on the day in question he was of opinion that she was of unsound mind at the time of the atrocity. Further witnesses came forward, with more saying that, until the birth of Alisana, Elizabeth had encountered hardships while living with her husband Henry, and think only intensified after the birth of Alice, leading Henry to stay away from home for days at a time, leaving the family with next to nothing to live on, such as food or money. On retiring to make their verdicts, the judge told the jury they had to consider whether the act of murder was that of a sane person. It didn't take long for them to reach their conclusion immediately returning to court with a verdict of not guilty on the grounds of insanity. So this is indeed a sad and if not strange case. What makes it strange is the fact that three of her sons were in the same room when Elizabeth committed the murder, as well as trying to take her own life. And indeed, the Blackburn Standard on Wednesday the 21st of September 1853 commented, What is rather remarkable, there were four boys, brothers of the deceased, ranging from nine to three years of age, in the same bed, in the same room with the mother and child, when the melancholy acts were perpetrated. And though some of them must have been awake at the time, they seemed to know little or nothing of it, or if they did, they treated the matter with indifference. Alice Hannah Cunliffe was just ten months old when her life was cruelly taken away from her. She was interred within the grounds of St James's in Haslingdon on the 16th of September 1853. As for Elizabeth, now we have found some records of a lady going by the same surname who was buried within the grounds of Rottenstall Cemetery on the 13th of January 1904. She was 81 years old, her occupation being a housekeeper. Obviously, it is hard to know if this is the same Elizabeth or not, and considering she suffered from mental health issues during her early years, could she really have lived that long? Especially when medicines and medical research during the Victorian era wasn't anything like what we have today. So we therefore need to treat this Elizabeth Cunliffe a little sceptically. So thank you very much for listening. 
I hope you enjoyed this story and if you want more, please show some support and comment down below. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, links to which are also down below. But in the meantime, take care and I will be back soon with another tale from the past.